Welcome to episode 340 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And this week we've got a great one because Jeff Tate, the original voice of Queensryche, is here on this podcast. Very glad to be able to say that. Jeff Tate played in Fayetteville, Arkansas here this past week and had the opportunity to check out that show and interview him for this podcast before the show. So I'm very happy to be able to bring this one. I've been a fan of Queensryche since I was probably 13 or so. Jeff Tate is still doing amazing stuff these days. We will talk about all that, talk about that show and everything coming up here in just a bit. Got a few other things we need to talk about first, but the main thing up front we need to mention is that we lost another great one. As we've talked about, I keep saying we, but as me and Jason talked about many times of the past three or four years, we're now in that period of time where we're starting to lose a lot of musicians that some of us grew up loving or just grew to love, whatever, however you want to put it. And a lot of them, of course, years have passed. People get older. But every once in a while, we lose one. Well before their time should come, and that happened to Mark Lanigan. He passed away yesterday, if you're listening to this, the day I drop it here. Passed away at the age of 57. Mark Lanigan was the voice of the Screaming Trees. He, of course, has tons of great solo work. He was a part of Queens of the Stone Age for a while. He was a part of Mad Season. He's got a plethora of stuff out there. He's wrote for a lot of other people. He's got books. Everything. Man, absolutely love this guy. I've always, something, one of the things I've always wanted to do as an episode was, Jason and I talked a lot about doing an episode of just like, the best albums of 92, because we we both had a strong affinity for that year, because there was a lot of great music that came out, and you had a cross-section of those 80s bands putting out some great work, coupled with all the grunge and thrash and alternative that was just like all going on at the same time. But something else on top of that I've always wanted to do is a, like a top five or top ten best albums of the grunge era. And I knew that if I did a top 10 of the grunge era, the grunge era, that Sweet Oblivion from Screaming Trees would be on that list. That album's so good. The album Dust that followed it up is great. This, this band, highly underrated, and more importantly, I believe Mark Lanigan is one of the most underrated musicians, not just his generation, but the past 30, 40 years. I say if there's a top 10 list of the most underrated musicians of the past few decades, he would definitely be on that list, in my opinion. His voice is very unique. It's very recognizable. It's one of those rare voices that can be both haunting and beautiful at the same time. I think guys like Peter Steele, Mina Caputo, trying to think of who else I could say has has a voice. It just sounds beautiful at times, but it also just sounds like completely haunting and sorry. I mean, Johnny Cash, I guess you might want to throw in there. I don't know. But the point is, if you're not part of the fan base of Mark Lanigan, 
please just check some out. You know, I mean, that's the thing that happens whenever a musician passes. Usually there's an uptick in their, it used to be in their cells, but these days it's in their streams. So go listen to some Screaming Trees. I mean, everybody knows the song Nearly Lost You. You know, check out some other great tracks of theirs. You know, like the song Shadow of the Season. All I Know was another kind of moderate hit of theirs. One of my, excuse me, one of my favorite songs of uh, Screaming Trees that is the song Butterfly from the album Sweet Oblivion. Just dig through there. I recently, I say recently, last year sometime I got Mark Lanigan's solo album that came out in 2020 called Straight Songs of Sorrow, which is a you know, a good way to describe a lot of his his songwriting. I got that on vinyl. I was very happy to grab that. I also got his his book of poetry. I found that at a store here a couple years ago and grabbed that as well. Also, I will I will say this with no disrespect in the least to the late great Lane Staley of Alice in Chains, because that guy had an, he was another one that had an otherworldly voice that was haunting and beautiful that I could have thrown in that list earlier. Extremely recognizable. Besides Alice in Chains, he's also well known for Mad Season. And I believe the best song on the reissue of the Mad Season album was Slip Away, featuring Mark Lanigan on the vocals. Once again, that's no disrespect to, to Lane, but regardless, dig through. He also... I'll just keep rambling if I don't shut myself off here, but he had a song, I believe it was in 2020, it might have been 2019, with Mark Morton of Lamb of God. He put out an album, here, let me pull this up. Yeah, Anesthetic came out in 2019, and the song Axis on the album features Mark Lanigan. That album's great because it features, it's one of those albums that features different vocalists on every song. And Mark Morton, Mark Morton tailored the songs to that vocalist style. So it's very much has a Mark Lanigan feel, which it would regardless with his voice on top of something. So again, a huge loss in my opinion in the rock world. Much love to Mark Lanigan. Rest in peace. All right, let's run through our sponsors real quick. DEB Concerts, located right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They keep bringing amazing Amazing acts to this area. They brought in bands like Saxon, Buckcherry, Last in Line, Striper, Lita Ford, Warrant, Bisto Blanco, Steelheart, Winger. The list is long. He also, I say he, Doug, from DB Concerts, also brought in Snoop Dogg and Nelly the year before last. And speaking of that... Of course, they've got the show coming up this March 24th. Snoop Dogg and Ice Cube, along with Warren G. And that was recently announced just a couple of days ago that there is now a second show added on March 25th. So there's two chances to check this out in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the BOK Center. If you're a fan of 90s era rap, I mean, what more can you ask for than Snoop, Ice Cube, and Warren G.? Ice Cube's my favorite rapper of all time. Snoop Dogg's amazing. Warren G's got the hits as well. So that's a cool one, even if you're not into rap, you know. 
I just say, you gotta love all the music. I freaking love that halftime show at the Super Bowl. If you didn't, it's not my issue. Anyway, also, back on the front of what this podcast prides ourselves on, which is rock and metal. The metal tour of the year. Megadeth with Lamb of God and Ice. I almost said Iced Earth. <laughs> Let's trigger some people here. Anyway, no, Iced Earth's not going to be there because they're not going to be anywhere for a while. In Flames. Which is what John Schaefer's career went up in about a year ago. So, Anyway, Megadeth, Lamb of God, In Flames, April 30th, BOK Center brought to you by DEB Concerts. They also promote the... Or, Book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. Rocklahoma, this Labor Day weekend, when that announcement comes, we'll be bringing you all those bands as well. So check out dbconcerts.com to stay up to date and ticket info and all that great stuff. Med Farm is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. They're right off the highway. Can't miss them. Got a big sign. They've got a pretty good-sized building as well with a big selection. You can check out their entire selection at leafly.com. You can also call, email, or text your order ahead. And then, if you do that, all you got to do is go through their drive-thru. They've got a drive-thru that is open 24 hours a day. I don't know if there's any other dispensaries in this area that can say that. But I know what other dispensaries in this area cannot say, and that is that 30% of their proceeds go to build no-kill animal shelters at all times. That's not a promotion. This is at all times, from when the business started, and forever. So, that's your reason you need to check out Med Farm to help support the animals. Also, if you mention Thunder Underground, they give you 10% off your first order, which is another cool thing. So, follow them on their socials. Med Farm is P-H-A-R-M, so you don't miss any specials going on. And a huge thank you, as always, to Med Farm. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state-licensed, and they are mother-approved. 25 plus years of experience doing tattoos, and you can see all the photos on their socials. Instagram is Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Facebook is the same. So get on there and check out those photos, and then shoot them a message or give them a call to set up a time to talk about what work you want to have done. They also accept walk-ins, but of course, don't be an asshole about it. If you walk in and they're not available, set up a time to come back. Jake does amazing work. I know from first-hand experience because he's put a tattoo on me. And he's put a tattoo on several other people I know. You can see all those photos online, like I mentioned. So check out Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. All right. I was planning on this episode to talk a little bit about the Nikki Six versus Eddie Vedder situation that kind of just came out of nowhere a week or two ago because I didn't have an episode last week. And then I just kind of started thinking about it, and I'm just like, really? I don't really care. I mean, nine times out of ten, if there's a Nikki Six versus someone, I'm going to take the other person's side. <laughs> and that's only because I just feel like three-fourths of the time he's not on the same page as me, I guess is the good way to put it. I'm a fan of Motley Crue from the time I had ears which, well, not from the time I had ears were born, from the time I had an ear for music. I've loved that band. I love everything they've ever put out, for the most part. Recording, you know, excuse me, studio-wise, when it comes to live music, 
I've made that talk too many times and I'm not going to get into that here. I guess I kind of will. Just saying that if Pearl Jam and Motley Crue were playing the same night in the town I was in, seven nights in a row, seven of those nights I would go see Pearl Jam. And that was one of the things that Nikki Six talked about, how they were boring and this and that. I'm like, well, if you go to a Pearl Jam show, you're going to get two and a half hours of music that's good. And every single night of those seven nights, the set list is going to change. And you're going to hear all kinds of great stuff. You're going to see, you're going to see Mike McCready just go off and it's going to be great. You go to Motley Crue show, you're going to see an hour and a half of the same exact set list every night. And guess what? It's going to fucking suck. Not because Nikki Six, not because Mick Mars, or not because Tommy Lee. We all know why. And this isn't anything new. This has been going on for decades. So, there you go. That has nothing really probably to do with anything, but there you go. Let's talk about Queensryche, which is most important. Excuse me. No, let's not. Let's talk about Jeff Tate. There's a faux pas right there. Maybe if Jeff's people hears this, they won't play, you know you know, promote this now, but let me, let me reiterate what I'm trying to say. Let's talk about Jeff Tate. But of course, when you think of Jeff Tate, you instantly think of Queensryche. And I believe the opposite is as well. And I just want to say up front that if you're one of those people that have blown off either side of that deal, I just think you're doing yourself injustice because what Jeff Tate has done since he's left Queen since he's left Queensryche, he's put out multiple albums that are great. He's still touring constantly, as he talks about in this interview coming up. He averages sixty three countries a year when he is on tour. Obviously not last year there before, but that thing's all kicking back up and he said excuse me, he's booked through next year. And he sounds fantastic live. This isn't like one of those guys where it's like they're a shell of their former self. And this is, he has the type of voice that would be easy to be a shell of your former self. But he's maintained this in the same sense that Rob Halford or Bruce Dickinson has or Dio did throughout his life. It's phenomenal when you, when you hear, you know, for instance, at the show that I saw, he's, he's still touring on the 30th anniversary of Empire because most of those shows got canceled or delayed because of COVID. The 30th anniversary was actually in 2020, but as a part of the show, he also did Rage for, he did Empire in its entirety and he also did Rage for Order in its entirety. And then he did an encore at the end. And the very final song he sang after two hours and 10 minutes, I believe this set, you know, I looked him, you know, I'm one of those dorks that always looks. It was almost two hours and 15 minutes long. I think it was like two hours and 13 minutes. And that's not including the intermission. There was like a 20 minute intermission in the middle. So this entire Jeff Tate performance, you know, was past two and a half hours long. But the point I'm trying to bring up is the very final song he played was Queen of the Reich. And if you're a fan of Jeff Tate or Queen's Reich, obviously you probably are if you're listening to this, you know that song. You know the notes in that song. You know how high he gets. And he sang that song at the end of the show after having sung for two, over two hours. And I just find that wildly impressive that he hit, you know, he, he did it flawlessly. And, you know, it's never been a wonder if he would or not, but just, it just kind of blew my mind that that song 
you know, that's the kind of song I think that a guy would like when early in, or maybe after he got a little warmed up there in the middle. But regardless, the whole show was massively impressive. Just to be able to hear songs like, you know, I've seen them play best I can before, but I can't remember if I only saw Queensryche once in the 90s. I can't remember if they played another rainy night, but all the other times I've seen them, I do not believe they did. And then I know I never saw him play anybody listening, which I believe I saw something recently where Jeff Tate had said that that rarely ever got played. To hear those songs, to hear The Thin Line, such a great freaking album. Just one of my favorite albums of that entire era. So I was just so pumped and it delivered his band is mainly guys that, you know, aren't household names in the rock and metal world, but they laid it down. They nailed it. It sounded like you expected it to. It was just a great night overall, as far as the show goes. 90 Pound Wrench out of Arkansas opened the show, and I'd actually seen them once before at Rocklahoma, but I believe this is probably the first time I saw them when I was not inebriated. Getting to see them was a great thing. These guys have a great sound, you know, it's kind of a mixture of like, they've got some groovy stuff, groovy metal kind of stuff. They've got some just straight up, you know, banging hard rock tunes, a lot of melody, the vocalist in 90 pound wrench as well has a great voice where he's hitting some, some high notes and, and look like he was doing it with ease. So if you're in the Arkansas or surrounding States area, you know, check out 90 pound wrench if they're playing near you. Or just look them up, follow them on their socials. Great band. But going back to what I was going to say a minute ago, if you're on one of those people that just picked a side for some reason, say, I'm only listening to Queensryche, or I'm only listening to Jeff Tate, and I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice. Queensryche's put out great music. They do great things live. And just as importantly, Jeff Tate has been doing the same exact thing. And of course, we would all love to see a reunion. Who wouldn't? Everybody wants to see a reunion of a band you love. But I think in this instance, it's a great thing that you get, you're getting, instead of getting nothing, you're getting two, you know, two options to see the music you love. Don't discount it on either side. Like I mentioned earlier, Jeff Tate and I had the opportunity to sit down before his sound check. And I don't know if I actually hadn't edited it yet, but you might hear his tour manager walk up and say, hey, we've got to cut this because sound it's sound check time but we got a good 20 plus minutes out of this so i was very happy to be able to talk to jeff tate about what he's got going on with this tour what he's been up to what he's got coming in the future we also spoke about some old queensrike stuff spoke a bit about promised land which is one of my favorite queensrike albums i always felt that album should have been as big as empire and operation Mindcrime. And we talked a little bit about that as well. So rather than me just talking about what we talked about, why don't we listen to what we talked about? Here's Jeff Tate.
unfortunate change of weather from where you just were a few days ago. Well, it's crazy weather where we were. Um, when we were in Mexico, it was all, you know, 85 degrees Fahrenheit and, you know, yeah. pretty nice, you know. We got into Miami when we docked from the boat. It was in the 40s. Oh, really? Yeah, it's crazy weather. And the big snowstorm came a week before when we were up in the Northeast and we got caught up in that blizzard up there. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Yeah. That's the interesting part of uh, being on the road. You know, it's always an adventure. You don't know where, where you're going sometimes or how you're going to get there and what's going to come in your way, you know? Right. Yeah, I have enough issues with the weather change, getting sick. Like, how do you handle that on the road? Like, not... You just have a, a, a couple scarves, <laughs> some warm clothes, some cool clothes, you know? So, yeah, got to have a kind of a mix of all kinds of different things with you, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, was that your first time performing on the Monsters of Rock cruise? It is, yeah. I typically have done Shiprock. I did the right. very first Shiprock in 05, and then I think we did 10 after that. Um uh, been pretty much a shiprock guy, you know, uh, but then uh, they asked me to do this one kind of last minute and had the time, you know, so it just fit into our week that we had off, so it worked out fine. So is that a good experience doing cruises like that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah it's pretty fun. You know, it's, uh, it's a little bit interesting being in a confined space with people, you know, right. uh, but uh, you kind of learn how to deal with it, you know. Well, it's obviously... A business trip, you can make it about pleasure as well because you probably have a few days off in there. But yeah. like, how do you, like you just said, like how do you do that? With you've got people everywhere that know who you are. Mm-hmm. It's not like going on a normal vacation where some people might not know who Jeff Tate yeah. is. But on this boat, every single person knows. So how do you? Yeah. How do you handle that? Well, you have to be kind of open minded and accepting of uh, human behavior. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it gets pretty weird, especially when people start drinking, you know, their inhibitions come down and they they uh, tend to, uh, I don't know, they get a little friendly. Right. Know? Yeah, so you have to kind of learn how to deal with that be okay with it. Some people don't like it at all and will never go on one, but I'm, I feel pretty connected to my fan base and people that uh, follow the music, and they're, and they're not like psychos most mostly. Yeah, right. I mean, occasional, you know. Right. Person that probably shouldn't be out in public, you know. <laughs> Predominantly, you know, ninety nine percent of them are cool people, you know, who yeah. just are there for the music and want to have a good time. And hey, if they see it when you're standing in line to get a burrito on the boat, you know, they're going to say, "Hey, I saw you back in nineteen eighty five, and when you opened up for Kiss, and uh, this was my experience." And hey, well, I got you here. You want to do a selfie? You know, like, right? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Was that a uh, was that part of this tour as far as the Empire and Ridge Forder, or was that just a straight up normal set? No, we did that. Uh, we did two shows. Uh, okay. First night was Rage for Order, and we got a lovely encore. So we came back and did some uh, rare ones. Okay. And then uh, Empire uh, was the next night, and again we got an encore. So we came back and did some off the wall stuff. You know. Okay. Yeah, but it was fun. So when you going back to when you first like decided, I mean, I guess I would have been way back, but starting to decide to do albums in their entirety, like Operation Mindcrime and an Empire. Mm-hmm. Like, how hard was the process of rehearsing when you've got songs that you probably hadn't played in years or ever? Well, it was actually kind of fun and um, exciting. Like, like uh, this is this tour here is kind of a dream come true for me because uh, when I was in Queensryche, we never uh, played a lot of the songs that we're playing now. Um, a lot of the stuff off Rage we never played before. And one, two, three or four songs off Empire we never played before. So uh, 
it was great, you know, getting to relive those songs and uh, revisit them and, and uh, perform them for the first time was fantastic. And I love both those albums uh, quite a bit. And Rage is probably my, might be my second favorite of the Queensryche albums. And I really? Uh, really love performing it, although it's really hard. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> physical album to perform, you know, especially at my age. <laughs> <laughs> well, does that make it even harder when you're doing two albums in the same night or is it just similar to doing a long set? It's a long set. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's two hours. Yeah. Right. Which is normally what I'm used to playing. You know, okay. I try to play two hours. Uh, a lot of bands, I know they only play, you know, 90 minutes and that's it, you know, yeah. and peace. Everybody's different and everybody has different things they want to do or can do, you know? And, uh, but yeah, two hours is about my, my minimum, what I try to do. Well, when you're, uh, <laughs> Like, say you're going out on tour, do you prefer something like this where it's a regimented, you know, I'm playing these albums in their entirety and maybe a few other songs, or do you prefer like the kind of free-flowing, making a set list of greatest hits type thing? Oh, I like them both. Really? Yeah. I'm getting ready to do a kind of a greatest hits tour um, at the end of the year, and I'm having fun uh, putting together a set list for that. I, I, I'm always so tempted to put songs in I want to do. Right. You know? And sometimes that's quite at odds to what the fans want. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I struggle with that. And uh, so I've I've learned to uh, accept outside opinions about that and get my my band to, you know, throw in songs that they want to do or they love. And and I listen to my management somewhat on that. And and then sometimes we've taken a poll from the fan base too. Like, what do you want to hear live? You know? Yeah. And that's kind of interesting to hear what they have to say was there i mean you've done throughout your career what i know of at least five albums you've done in their entirety yeah so i'm forgetting something is there any album that you haven't done that you'd like to do mm, the whole album yeah, yeah i'd like to do i'd like to do promise land one more time did it when it first came out okay i didn't even realize that was that. 20 Almost 30 years ago. Yeah, almost 30 years <laughs> ago. I'd like to do that one. Although it's a bit of a dark album, I'm not sure that it would be, you know, a candidate for doing something like this. I'm not sure. I might have to marry it with another album, you know? Right. Because it's a bit, uh, I don't know, um, stark, you know? Right. A little bit uh, introspective, you know? But, I don't know. Who knows? It's a... I never quite know what I'm doing until I do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you bring that up. I mean, I was kind of going to ask about it later, but that's one of my favorite Queensryche albums. It's kind of the first album where it didn't seem as, it seemed a little more loose, I guess, might be the right word. I don't know. Hmm. Um, like you said, it was darker, even though you guys had dark stuff, but mm-hmm. just as a whole, like, do you have a good memories of making that or... I have, that whole album cycle and everything? Yeah, I have yeah. really definitive memories of it, actually. I'm not saying they're all good memories, but uh, there were some interesting times. We made the record under extreme circumstances. We we hadn't talked to each other in three years after we finished the Empire Tour. Oh, wow. And the record company was knocking at the door for another record, and uh, we knew we had to get in the studio and make one, and... Um, so none of us, I felt, really wanted to be in the same room. But we had to do it. So 
um, I came up with this idea of, well, let's get everybody together on a remote island and we'll all sit in one place for a few months and, and throw around a bunch of ideas and see what happens and, and maybe kind of get back to being a band again, you know, like we were on the maybe the first album, you know. Uh, that didn't work. <laughs> we still went and did that plan, but, you know, I think the drummer, Rocketfield, he, he stayed for two weeks, got his all his parts done and left. And then same with Eddie. He was there about a week, got done and left. Michael did some parts. He was there about three weeks and left. And then it was just Chris and me and our engineer for six months. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Staying on the island, making the record. And then... Uh, but it was good. It was it was interesting. I I have good memories of uh, being there. It's kind of a situation like this where we lived in this log cabin on this remote island, and we put the studio together. It took us a couple different tries to get the studio to work because uh, our first attempt kind of failed putting all the gear together. But then we got it the right setup set up, and then um, yeah, then it was kind of magical, you know, we, being there in this in this remote place. You know, the the ocean was like as close as that stage is you know, oh, wow. to you, and you know there was whales and seals and all kinds of wildlife, and it was uh, quiet, really super quiet. So the only thing you heard was what was going on in your head, yeah. you know. And uh, so that we took that what was going on in our heads and made music out of it. Yeah. Do you think uh, did the band or the label? Were you surprised that it wasn't as commercially successful as the previous two albums? I mean, even though the music climate had changed, but the album was kind of darker, which was kind of what was going on from like the Seattle bands and all that stuff. So I kind of figured it would have hit a little more than it did. I've never been surprised. Well, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, the Mind Crime album was one that, uh, you know, caught us all off guard. We weren't expecting it to be as big and popular as it got because it was really dark. Yeah. Very challenging for people. But we had just tremendous airplay, you know, and video play as well with MTV. So it went from nothing to 500,000, you know, boom. And then it went to a million. And then it went to two million, you know. And it just kept climbing ever since. And um, and the Empire was a little bit more out of the box because the, the album or the record company was really geared up and ready, you know, and had a really fantastic team of people that were promoting the record and um it uh it definitely got a lot of airplay you know yeah that album and promise land didn't get so much airplay because everything was shifting at that point in the record industry and uh so it was kind of left on its own you know although it's you know it sold 1.5 million albums something like that which is nothing to sneeze at you know right uh but, uh, yeah, it, I was very happy with where it got to, considering what it was, you know, kind of a different departure for us. Right. Where were the albums leading? You mentioned that recording of that was kind of splintered outside of you and Chris, but was were the albums before that more of a cohesive kind of recording process? No, no. Or are they always never, that way? Hey, Kim, can you give us like 10 more minutes yeah, before recording this interview? Okay. Um. None of the albums have been, I don't know what people's idea of making an album is, but the reality, at least for us and every band and artist is different, is uh, usually takes one to two people with an idea and they work on the idea and they get it ready. And then they present it to the rest of the guys that go, okay, well, this is our sketch that we've made. 
could you add something to this, you know? And then you hope that they can be as enthusiastic about the idea as you can. And it's not always that way, but um, you try to get them on board, you know, to add to it, you know, and take it someplace unique and different, you know? And, uh, and then you get the song uh, in the studio and you lay a guide track down and the drummer comes in and plays his drum parts and then he's done, you know, there's no really use for him to sit around for months uh, unless he's a songwriter and then he'll be involved in, you know, more in-depth stuff, you know, but uh, it's not like, you know, all five guys sit in the same room every day and crack jokes and, you know, uh, have meaningful conversations and that kind of thing. It's not really like that, at least in my experience. (laughs) (laughs) Has it been, I guess the albums you've done since Queensryche were like the Queensryche albums you had uh-huh. and then Operation Minecraft <clears throat> stuff. Like, are you, is it still the same kind of feel or is it a different feel because you're kind of brought in new guys or? Um, well, I like to collaborate with different yeah. people. And so it's, it's nice for me because I get to fulfill my, my wants and needs creatively, you know, and I try to bring people in that uh, are going to help me uh, fine-tune my vision for what I'm trying to achieve, you know. And um, I've been pretty pretty successful on that end of picking the right people that, that I want to uh, uh, work with, you know. Um, but yeah, it's always different. I mean, you're always trying to, like, lay something down. and or you, Most of the time you have an idea that you, you're working on, and you, you create on your own a sketch of it, you know. And then you present it to somebody like, uh, I'm not a, a great drummer, but I can lay down drum parts for an idea, right? And I'll say to my drummer that I want to work with, hey, this is uh, kind of what I'm looking for. What can you do with that, you know? And um, so then they take it and they uh, add their idea. And either I like the idea or I don't like the idea or I take that idea and we build on that, you know, take it someplace a little different, you know? That's just an example. And it's like that for every instrument, really. Yeah. I'll well, bring in somebody that like, they'll see, I, I can't need a, a melody here. And I'd like to put it on guitar. And this is the, the melody that I've played here. So can you take that and, you know, do something with it? And then and they'll do that, you know. That's kind of the way it works. Well, as far as the, the Operation Mindcrime band goes, is mm-hmm. that still a thing? Or is it, are you now build as Jeff Tate or are you mm-hmm. just doing that because Operation Mindcrime is not a part of this tour or how's that? Yeah, I'm just using my own name. Okay, kind of going forward yeah. now. I kind of was at a, a little bit of a um, a little bit of a I don't know, a challenge when um, when the Queensryche situation when they settled with me because I sold them my share of the name and uh, I figured well, I've got more of a chance of making making a living under my own name than they do making a living under their own names. You know, right. they're going to need the name Queensryche more than I would. And um, so we settled on a you know a gentlemanly number. You know, and uh, they bought out my shares, which was the what the whole thing was about anyway. And um, there was no firing or anything like that. That's a it's not accurate because they can't fire me because I'm right. part of the corporation. I own it, you know, yeah. I own part of it. 
So it's the same thing that Scott Rockefeller's going through with them right now. They're they're trying to not have him around anymore, and he's saying, "Well, that's fine. Pay me for my part." You know, right. And they're going, "No, we don't want to." <laughs> <laughs> so forces him to, you know, take him to court. You know, right? It's nasty, but that's America. You know, but I think I got off the question. What was it? No, I, I forgot remember. to. Oh, the name. It, it oh, the being name. Billed as yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of Operation Mind Yeah, Crime. so yeah. Operation Mind Crime was a, a, a phrase that I think most people are more familiar with, more familiar with that than my own name, you know, because all my creative life, professional life, I've been in Queensryche and I've always signed my work Queensryche. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. I, would not, I never said, this is Jeff Tate with Queensryche and this is not a song I wrote on my own, I wrote it with Queensryche, you know, that kind of thing. So a lot of people know me as the singer of Queensryche, but some people don't know my own name, you know? So Operation Mindcrime was kind of a stopgap in a sense that, well, people know that name, that word, the phrase, you know? Uh, but after touring several years with it and doing those projects I did with it, I don't feel I really need it now. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to use my own name now. Are the band members you have now the same band members that were in that in its last incarnation, or no, or, no, 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 all different people? Oh, okay. And is it guys you had known before, or how did the whole process of building this band come about? Um, these are all guys that I've known over the years in different situations, and uh, I picked them because of their. Uh, they each have like this amazing. I don't know, uh, work ethic, you know, they love playing live. They love traveling. They all get along really well together. They're great showmen and they're excellent musicians. They're almost flawless every night, you know? And, um, I'm very fortunate to have such wonderful people I'm working with now. But then again, I also kind of demand it, you know, the people I work with, I really want them to do this and do it this way. And, um, so it's a nice marriage, you know, yeah. and, um, there's a couple, I have, uh, two other guitar players that I work with, uh, regularly, um, that are based out of Italy and they do European shows with me. Okay. And I have, uh, two other drummers I work with. One's English and one is, uh, from Brazil, uh, that I work with regularly, depending on where I'm touring. I have Darren who's, uh, sitting in with me tonight on bass, um, is a guy from Seattle known for years. Um, but I also have uh, my main bass player is Jack Ross and he's a Scotsman, okay. but he had to go home on business. So he, uh, Darren's sitting in for him on this show. Okay. Well, speaking of European guys, that Sweet Oblivion album last year mm -hmm. was a great album. Was oh, that thanks. something you looked at as a kind of a one-off project or do you plan yeah. to like do more in the future? Or? Well, I've done two now and I'm, oh, getting, really? I'm getting ready to do the third one. Uh, I think we start in December. Oh, okay. Yeah. When was the first one? Was it before that? I don't know. Obviously I had to remember. That was a dumb question. But. I think it's like <laughs> maybe 18 or 19. Oh, okay. Somewhere around there. Okay. They came like a year apart. Okay. Yeah. So is that, that's more just kind of a studio thing, right? You don't see that mm -hmm. as being ever a, touring project well, a lot of people ask me to tour yeah. on it um maybe after the third album we'll see where where we're at you know yeah i just have a lot of music right. <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> to pick from so right you know i don't know maybe uh 
maybe I'll put some something together for that. I don't, I don't really know yet. Right. Well, it's time booked till the end of 2023 now, so like, oh, really? it's hard for me to look past that. <laughs> like a lot of long road ahead, you know? Like your book touring-wise or you mean studio? Touring, as yeah. well? Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you have any studio projects planned coming up besides the third Sweet Oblivion? Or? Uh, yeah, I'm working on stuff all the time, really. Um, I have another solo record that I'm trying to get finished. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen, but... Uh, Primarily for me, it's touring now, you know. Okay. I tour a lot. I go to 63 countries regularly. And it takes a long time to get around the world, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the mine, Operation Mindcrime 30-year anniversary went two years, yeah. that tour. And this is looking like it's going to go two years, too. Okay. You mentioned Rage Forward earlier, being some of the songs being pretty tough. Mm. Like, what's the the hardest Queen's Rock material to sing live? Empire's pretty tough. Because it's kind of all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, vocally. Um, Rage, once you get started on it, it's, it's okay, but it's, it's hard to start out on that album because it's all really power singing, you know? Yeah. The stuff I'm doing with, uh, have you heard Avantasia? Yeah. The stuff yeah. I'm doing with Avantasia is very challenging too because uh, melodically it's very different than something I would write, you know? And then uh, Tobias, he likes to put all the, Vocals way up high, you know, so it's like a scream fest, you know, all night. Yeah. Know? But it's fun stuff. That that new album's coming out, too. Okay. The new Avantasia. Like, I know you've done festival dates with them, but have you done, like, a full tour? Yeah, we did. Anyone? We did a whole world tour in 19. Okay. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. As far as uh, COVID goes, when you had that downtime of not touring constantly, like you just talked about, like, mm-hmm. how do you keep your voice fresh because you know when you're out on the road you can you got sound check yeah then you got the show well i have to but, say that the first two weeks of the tour were pretty tough when we started back up yeah yeah coming from zero to 100 you know <laughs> it was pretty hard to do yeah 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 but i feel good now i feel good yeah do you have like a normal like routine other than sound check as far as warm-ups no. huh? i just start in the morning talking Trying to put a sentence together after a cup of coffee, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Sound check's my big warm-up time, really. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck with it. Thank you. There you go, Jeff Tate. A huge thank you to Boyd Cruz for his help in setting that up. And, of course, a big help, a big thank you. To Giovanna, his tour manager, for her help. And of course, a massive thank you to Jeff Tate for taking some time out there to talk to me about everything you just heard. Like I said earlier, longtime fan of Queensryche. Longtime fan of this guy's excellent voice. If you get the chance at all to see this man in the coming year or years at any point, do it. He has been doing this for 40 years, basically, since that first Queensryche EP came out. And it's still, he still brings it live just as well as he did in the past. Promised Land, like we talked about there, if that's an album that you kind of skipped over, please go back and check it out. The song Damaged, so amazing. That whole album, I just absolutely love it. But there you go. If this is your first time listening, I greatly appreciate it got a lot of guys from that era. I know that 
Queensryche is a progressive metal hard rock band that always got lumped in post that era. Always now get lumps, gets, excuse me, I can't even speak, gets lumped into the glam rock era. Which, in a way, makes sense just because of the time period. But, obviously, it doesn't make any sense with the sound. If if you're a fan of that era, that time period, guys from, two guys from Tesla have been on this podcast. Frank Cannon and Brian Wheat. Spoiler alert, we might have another one coming soon. Wait and see. We've also had on Gene Simmons of KISS, Bruce Kulick, formerly of KISS, Mark Kendall of Great White has been on here a couple times. We've had on guys from Kicks, Bullet Boys, L.A. Guns, Firehouse, Trickster, Lillian Axe, Junkyard, had on a lot of, you know, what we've had on Vivian Campbell from Def Leppard, Dizzy Reed from Guns N' Roses, Glenn Hughes, one of the greatest voices in the history of rock and roll. We've had on, you want to get heavier? We've had on guys from Megadeth, Testament, Death Angel, Helmet, Prong, Typo Negative, White Zombie. The list goes on and on. 340 episodes before this one. You can check them out. Almost anywhere podcast or heard. You can listen directly off our website at thethunderunderground.com. We've also got merch on there. Hit us up on all the socials. You can find all those on the website. But wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, click like or subscribe or whatever it allows you to do. Follow so you don't miss any future episodes. And anytime you see a post, whether it be on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, if you could just throw it a like or a share, or a retweet, or a comment, or anything. That always helps get the uh, that post spread around the algorithms. You know all that great crap. So, once again, a massive thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. We, me, whoever. Got some great stuff coming up. Got an interview scheduled that'll be out next week. But, like I've mentioned many times in the past, I don't like to... Uh, announce interviews until they're recorded because a couple times we've done that and then they fell through and then you know two months later someone's like well whatever happened to that I'm like well it didn't happen so anyway i've got a, a name that's going to be recorded here later this week that is a pretty you know pretty big name now in the world of hard rock he's also Made a lot of headlines in recent months. And no, we're not bringing the dude from Trapped back. This is someone, like I said, as a, you know, a decent-sized name in the world of hard rock. This isn't 2003, so that is not going to be Trapped. But anyway, be on the lookout for that. Follow on our socials so you don't miss who that is. And then you'll find out next week, probably as well. Still got an episode to celebrate the life of our good friend Eric Bass. Hopefully coming here in the next month or so. And some other things in the works as well. Alright, once again, a huge thank you to Jeff Tate, Boyd Cruz, DEB Concerts, Med Farm, and Sunset Tattoo. And until next time. <laughs> That's pretty realistic. Okay, Kim. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I like your little phone stand there. That looks... <laughs> yeah. Makes it easy to...
Yeah. Thunder Underground, y'all.